How many know this? You never live beyond your prayer life. You ever thought about that? You don't. Nobody does. No, no pastor can minister beyond his prayer life. No church worker can live beyond their prayer life. No believer really lives beyond the way they pray. So how many know prayer is important? And in 2020, God dealt with me uh, beginning of the year. If you want a successful year this year and the ensuing years until Jesus comes back, develop your prayer life. Uh, first week, we talked about Jesus' prayer life and how we can model his prayer life by praying in detail about everything. Weeks uh, two, two, three, and four, uh, we, talked about, uh, we talked about the reason to pray. When God created uh, the earth and then put Adam and Eve, the first man and woman here, he gave them a measure of his authority. And the way God set it up, God rules over the whole universe. And so he's the authority over everything, but he delegated a portion of his all authority to the human race. And Adam and Eve became, became under rulers under God. He gave them authority, told them to have dominion over the earth. And then when they sinned against God in Genesis chapter 3 and obeyed God's arch enemy, Satan, uh, Satan that, uh, they, literally, they literally committed treason against God and gave that God-given authority away. And now Satan uh, has a legal right to be here, and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy Jesus said, and the reason, the foundational reason we must pray is the way God set up ruling the earth. He rules through a human. And when Adam and Eve gave that authority away, then, you know, they kind of hindered God's purposes and plans. But the good news is Jesus came. And Jesus is called in the New Testament the second Adam. He's called the last Adam. When Jesus uh, took our sin uh, paid our sin debt, was raised from the dead. And uh, just before he went to heaven, he said, as the representative man, all authority is given to me. In heaven and on earth, go ye and make disciples of all nations. So he gave that authority that Adam gave away to Satan. He regained it and then gave it back to the church. Is that good news? You say, what's that got to do with me? If you're, if you're a believer, the only people that have authority over the devil today is our believers. And for God to do whatever he wants to do in the earth today, he works through the prayer life of believers worldwide. How many hear me? So if you want God to do something in your family, in your marriage, in your finances, in your children, in your friends, in your extended family, in your community, in your state, in your nation, in your world, pray and ask him. How many hear me? And then last week we changed gears and here we are. We're talking about different kinds of prayer Ephesians six eighteen New International Version, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and request the different kinds of prayer. We often don't think about prayer that way. We just kind of think about generalized prayer and just think, well, all prayer is prayer. Well, no, it's not. There are different kinds of prayer for different circumstances and situations in life. And then as I've gone through the Bible, I found at least seven different kinds of prayer. So last week I talked about one. There's seven, and we'll take some time. Might not take the whole time each week. Uh, last week I talked about the prayer of faith. This week we're going to talk about the prayer of consecration. Come right back to it. Uh, then there's the prayer of supplication, intercession, the prayer of agreement, the prayer of worship, united praying, then praying in the Spirit. We're going to talk about all that in the ensuing weeks. Today I want to come back and uh, talk about the prayer of consecration. Last week we talked about the prayer of faith. Prayer of faith is a, a prayer you primarily pray for yourself. 
you know, for your healing, for finances, for a change of circumstances, whatever you personally need from the Lord. It's really the prayer we use when we're worried, concerned about things, and, and we exercise personal faith in God and ask God for whatever we need. Jesus summarized Mark eleven twenty four: whatever you desire when you pray, believe you receive, and you'll have. So the prayer of faith takes your, your hope, which is future, brings it to the present, and speaks and thinks and acts as much as possible as though God's answered the prayer right now. And that's the prayer of faith. We talked about that in fair detail last week. This week, we're going to change gears again. And this is the second kind of prayer, the prayer of consecration. Now, I've got to tell you, this prayer of consecration has caused me personal trouble. Because <laughs> I can't stay the way I am. And this prayer of consecration is not a prayer like the prayer of pray, uh, faith that you pray one time and then just thank God. No, this is, and with the prayer of faith, you never say, Lord, if it be your will, do this or that. Because you know God's will when you're praying in the prayer of faith. But this prayer, when you pray the prayer of consecration, this is one you pray all the time. Lord, if it be your will, or Lord, what is your will? Or Lord, what do you want me to do? You're personally saying, God, I submit my will to yours. Help me to fulfill your will, your plan, your purposes, not my will, my plan, and my purposes. How many hear me? So can we cut to the chase? Might get a little quiet today. We live in an extremely self-centered culture. Would you agree? Oh, back 30, 35 years ago, I was, at a, uh, um, I was getting some groceries and uh, before the advent of the internet, and here are all these magazines that were popular. And I come across, first time I'd seen it, it kind of shocked me, and the title of the magazine was Self. I thought, look at that. That's the way we are. We think about I, me, my, and mine. Those are our friends. We love ourselves. And that's our culture today. When you come to Jesus, you're cutting across the grain of the way our culture is. How many hear me? So I've got four points I want to make about this prayer of consecration. Number one, Jesus gave us the model of committing ourselves to God's will and praying this prayer of consecration. I want to take some time and, and read this because I think it's important. Matthew 26, 36, here's Jesus. <clears throat> just before he went to the cross, just before uh, he became our sin. And I've been to uh, Israel. I've been to the uh, Garden of Gethsemane. He went there, and there was a frequent place he went to pray with his disciples. And those same olive trees that Jesus prayed under are still there. You ought to see them, y'all. Those gnarled-looking trees, amazing. I wept when I got there because it moved me so much. And here's what happened with Jesus, Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. He's wrestling with himself. We think of Jesus and we don't think that much about his humanity. Jesus was tempted just the way we are. He had all of the feelings, all of the emotions, all of the thoughts, all of the desires, all of the overwhelming things that come to us at times. Jesus experienced that. Here, 
Here, he said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. And he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Now there is the prayer of consecration right there. Then he returned to the disciples, found them asleep. You ever been praying and fell asleep? They did. And he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watching, pray, so that you will not give in to temptation. Often our yielding in to temptation is because we've not spent enough time praying and on our knees. How many hear me? Keep watching, pray this so that you will not get into temptation for the Spirit's willing. But the body is weak. Message paraphrase there of that verse is really good. It says the flesh is as lazy as an old dog sleeping by the fire. Isn't that good? Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping. Gracious me, didn't they sleep the night before? For they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same thing. Then he came to his disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Let's be going. So Jesus, just before uh, the most agonizing time of his life, he had to, he had to pray that prayer we call the prayer of consecration. Um, he had to go to Gethsemane before he could go and pay the awful price for our sin. And before he was ever seated at the right hand of the Father with all, with all authority and all power as a human, he had to go through his Gethsemane. I want you to understand that when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, that was where he overcame the mental anguish. Now, how would you feel if you knew next week so somebody's going to stick, uh, stick spikes all the way through your hands and feet. How would you feel if somebody was going to take some cords, about 40 of them all bound together, and put glass and rocks on the end and beat you until you look like a piece of hamburger? How would you think, how would you think mentally about it? Would you be excited about living? Would you be excited about the next week? That's what Jesus was dealing with. That's why he said, God, if, if it's possible... If I don't have to go through this physical anguish. The mental anguish was knowing what he had to go through. And then the emotional anguish Jesus endured. You got to understand Jesus the Christ pre-existed the baby in a manger. Pre-existed Jesus the Christ. We know he's the second member of the Trinity. He's lived in heaven for all eternity. But in the Garden of Gethsemane he came to a realization for a moment of time, for a for, for a few days, I'm going to be separated from God my Father. I'm going to be separated from the source of joy, the source of peace, the source of love, the source of life, the source of all satisfaction. And I'm going down to a dark place. And I'm going to stay there. How do you think, what do you think the emotional turmoil was like? Mental turmoil, emotional turmoil. Physical turmoil. He said, I, 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 I'm about to die. It was affecting him physically. In fact, the capillaries at the surface of the skin broke because of the intense pressure that Jesus endured in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he sweat blood. Blood coagulated. It fell on the ground. Amazing. And then the spiritual pressure. The spiritual pressure is the demon hordes of hell tried to convince him, don't do this. 
You, 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 don't, you don't need to go to the cross. God can save humanity another way. They don't need a, a man like you to die. Save your life. Live. You're only 33. Got a lot of life. And he had to say no. How many know the Garden of Gethsemane preceded the resurrection? The Garden of Gethsemane preceded the authority that Jesus gave us, the church. And Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father, and we're seated with Him. How many hear me? But if we're going to be seated with Him, we also have to experience our own Gethsemane. Now, the word Gethsemane is interesting. Point two, we must experience our own personal Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane literally means, you can look it up in any concordance, a place of crushing. You see, it was an olive orchard. And, you know, if you like the Mediterranean diet the way I do, an extra virgin olive oil, I've got a certain brand I buy, and it says first cold pressed. That means it's got the most phytochemicals and nutrients in it possible for olive oil. Olive oil is a healthy oil for mankind. Before that, but before the health from that oil, uh, from the olives, can benefit us, those olives have to be crushed between two pieces of uh, two pieces of a metal screen, and they're squeezed. The place of crushing. See, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's amazing to me how God sets things up. He does things in such a way that even what you're going through has tremendous meaning. Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane because he himself had to go through a crushing, an amalgamation of his own will to the will of God. How many hear what I'm saying? This is a tough place. Jesus experienced the place of crushing. He had to do it before he could go to the cross and then be seated at the right hand of the Father. Philippians 2, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God's highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee bows, in heaven, earth, under the earth, and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So everybody, see, Jesus, Jesus is the way maker. He's the standard setter. Uh, and so uh, he's the first and so he blazed a trail, and the Bible says we're to emulate and be like him, right? So Jesus had to go through Gethsemane. The question is, what's your Gethsemane? Apostle Paul, one of the most educated men of his day, he was a man of very short stature, but probably one of the most educated men of his day, sat at the feet of a man named Gamaliel, which was a tremendous teacher in the first century. And if you sat under him, you were really something else. And he was... a he was a very religious person. He was a Pharisee, and by his own admission of the Pharisees, which was a strict sect of the Jewish race. And, uh, I mean, they were the guys that ruled everything, basically. Uh, perhaps part of the Sanhedrin. I mean, this guy had it all. And listen to what the Apostle Paul said after he went through his own Gethsemane. Yet, indeed, I also count all things loss. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. One translation says dog dung that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, uh, which is from the law, but which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is from God 
by faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. Well, we want to know the power of his resurrection. What we don't want is the fellowship of his sufferings. But you won't get the resurrection power until you understand Gethsemane, the place of crushing. How many hear me? And nobody in America likes to hear this message because we want everything to be sweet and fun and great. And you know what? God is all of the above. But he asks something of us. He asks for all of us. How many hear me? All of us have that place. I know six months into my walk with Jesus, this was uh, February of 1977. I was working in a grocery store going to school. <clears throat> Minded my own business, y'all, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I heard words. I had never heard these words. I didn't know what it was. I'd known the Lord six months, but this was new to me. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. It's a King James Version scripture. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity, says the preacher. I said, what kind of preacher is that? I heard it all afternoon. I was working on the end of a gondola, and I was putting all kinds of merchandise on the end of, a, on the end of, of a, a, an aisle in the grocery store. I kept hearing vanity. I, I heard it for hours. Got off at 6 o'clock, got home. My mother knew the Lord. said, Mom, I'm still living at home. I said, Mom, I was 18. I said, Mom, what is this vanity? She said, well, that's the book of Ecclesiastes. I read all 12 chapters. And here's what I found out God was saying to me. Mitch, now my goal in life at that time, 18, I was ambitious. I wanted to make money. I wanted to have a family. I wanted to have a nice house. I wanted to have nice cars, nice stuff, nice clothes, nice, 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 nice. That was my goal. But God, and, and I didn't think any preacher could have anything nice at the time. And I thought, well, God was coming after what I wanted to do. Vanity of vanity. If all you do is work and make money like everybody... You're going to miss my best. And y'all, I had to wrestle. I had to wrestle with God. I had to wrestle for several weeks. God, what are you saying to me? Are you telling me you don't want me to go into business and make money that way? Are you telling me you, you, you want me, my full-time occupation is to work for, yes. And y'all, I had a dream. There was a fork. There's a left fork on a dirt road, a right fork. There's a little tree in the middle. That left fork was my way. The right fork was God's way. If I'd have taken the left fork, I promise you, I don't think I would be here today. Everybody has a garden of Gethsemane. Everybody, there's something God's asking for from you. And you'll never be the believer that God has called you to be until you have that experience where you give away what you think you've got to have. Now, I, I, man, I had known the Lord I, not even a year. And there's this one little girl that caught my eye. When I, was, when I was 16 years old, I dated this little girl for a couple of years. I had uh, put a, a, a ring on, on deposit, and I was going to marry this little girl. Thank God for Susan, whom I've been married to over 40 years now. But I thought I just had to have her. I came to the Lord. My whole life transformed, changed. Uh, no longer, of course, was dating her. But, but she found me at church. This little girl found me at church after a, a midweek service. And come in her little car with her pretty little eyes and roll her window down. Hi, Mitch. I said, well, hi. And you know what she said? I still want you. And my flesh said, well, you know, I want you. But out of my mouth from my inner man said, I will never have anything to do with you again. And she cried. And I don't know what I did. I thought, why did I say that? That's dumb. 
For some people in the room, if you're young, a boy, a girl, they could get in the way of God's best for you. Unless they want to love God and please God, you shouldn't have anything to do with them. How many hear me? It'll ruin your life. Other people, you got secret things going on. You got a secret drug thing going on. You're taking prescription pills. Or maybe you're smoking pot. Or maybe you're, you're loving Jesus and telling people you love him, but you're doing crack on the side. I know it happens, y'all. Are you smoking reefer? I know what it is. I did it as a kid. I know what it does. And nobody knows. God knows. And he's saying, I'm calling you to Gethsemane. How many hear me? Or it may be for you, it might be pride. It might be arrogance. It might be a love of ease. It might be a love of money. It might be self-love where you've got to have everybody saying nice things about you. And you can't cut to the chase and tell the truth because you might offend somebody. That might be what you need to take to Gethsemane. Number three, my biggest problem in life is me. And your biggest problem in life is you. How many hear me? See, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, Genesis chapter 3, they did what they wanted to do. Before they sinned, their spirit nature was alive to God. God would speak to them every day in the evening hours, and they had great fellowship with God. Their, their spiritual nature was submitted to God. Their mind was submitted to God. Their emotions were submitted to God. Their will was subservient to God's will. But when they chose to rebel and disobey God, the will came first. I, I want to do what I want to do. Of the Messiah, Isaiah 53 says this, talking about us. We have all turned every person to his own way. Somebody said the devil's theme song is, I did it my way. Frank Sinatra might, might have made the song popular. But all of us have to deal with my way. How many hear me? So my biggest problem after salvation even is my way. How many know it? You can be a believer, think you're doing great. You can even be in ministry, but you're still doing things my way. You're still doing marriage my way. You're still having relationships my way. You're still working on the job as a manager my way. And you think you're doing good, but you're in the center of your world instead of Jesus being in the center of your world. It's a problem. Every problem known to man is created by the self-centeredness we all have to deal with. Yes or no? Whew. It makes you quiet when you talk about this, doesn't it? You know, three years ago, God dealt with me. I thought everything was wonderful. I've been here 25 years. I'm into my 26th year here. I thought, I thought everything was wonderful. God began to deal with me. Mitch, you're running to church wrong. You're doing it all wrong. I said, I don't get what you're saying. I thought you ought to be quite proud of me. And he just spoke one word to me, trailblazer, trendsetter. Uh, you're going to set another trend. You're going to do something different. I had to hire a John Maxwell coach. You know what I found out? Three years ago, 2016. You know what I found out? I was the center of the Victory Church world. Everybody did what I said. Everything went at my beckoning. Everybody went through Pastor Mitch. You know what I found out? I was wrong. So what I'm trying to say is, I don't care how long you've been in the Lord, how spiritual you think you are, the eye gets in the way. How many hear me? 
And it's something you never really completely overcome. Y'all, honestly, this prayer of consecration, there's things I like about it and there are things I don't. It's a prayer I got to pray every single day of my life. Because like you, I've got a wild root. I've got a wild nature that'd rather do it my way than consult God's way. How many hear me? That's the reason every gospel, it's amazing to me. I'm going to read this fairly quickly. In every gospel, uh, Jesus mentions, in Matthew it's twice. In Luke, I think it's twice. He mentions the will of man and giving your will away because it is the biggest problem that we have as humans. We want our own way and sometimes our own way. It, It costs us more than we ever thought we'd have to pay to get our own way. How many hear me? So listen, real quickly, I'm just going to read these. They're in the notes. This is, I love the message paraphrase, Matthew 10. Y'all hear? See, it's real quiet in this Baptist church. Don't think I've come to make life eat, life cozy. I've come to cut. Now, how would you like to listen to a preacher saying that? I mean, Jesus, he thought he'd, uh, he'd draw a big crowd. Man, my goodness. Uh, you think I've come to make life cozy? I've come to cut, make a sharp knife cut between son and father, daughter, mother, bride, and mother-in-law. Cut through those cozy domestic arrangements and, and free you for God. See, a lot of people won't do the will of God because of family and family pressure. You've got to go against the grain. How many hear me? Well-meaning family members can be your worst enemies. If you prefer father or mother over me, you don't deserve me. If you prefer... Per, uh, prefer son or daughter over me. You don't deserve me. If you don't go all the way with me through thick and thin, you don't deserve me. If your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. But if you forget about yourself and look to me, you'll find both yourself and me. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, I know, you're quiet. I was like, wow, really? Jesus. Well, he keeps going, Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my followers, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. If you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. It's really unusual how it works. I love Philip's translation of Mark eight thirty four. If anyone wants to follow in my footsteps, he must give up all right to himself. Take up his cross, follow me. I got a right to be what I want to be. I got a right to think what I want to think. I got a right to do what I want to do. That's America. If you want to walk with Jesus, you've got to give up your right. Your right to think and be what you think you should be. And consult him first. It's quiet because it cuts against the chase. Does it not? Luke 14, message paraphrase. Anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of family traditions of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters. Yes, even one's own self can't be my disciples. He's not saying divorce your wife, don't have anything to do with your kids, get off and crawl over in a, in a, in a cave somewhere and act like a hermit. He's not saying that. What is he saying? Anything you love more than me. Anything, that any relationship that causes you to compromise to keep it, you need to snip it and put me first. Even if it makes someone else mad. huh? And we're all about pleasing everybody now. Now parents won't even be parents. Well, I don't want my, my kid not to like me. 
Your goal as a parent is not for your kids to like you. Your goal as a parent is not to be friends with your kids. Your goal as a parent in the early childhood years is to, is to be a father, a mother, a guide, a leader. Later on, you'll be a confidant. Later on, you can be a friend. But you need to be a molder of character. And that means sometimes you cut against the chasing and they don't like you. Anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow behind me can't be my disciple. Simply put, if you're not willing to take what's dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, can't be my disciple. And then John 12. Let me make it clear. A single grain of wheat will never become more than a single grain of wheat unless it drops into the ground and dies. Because then it sprouts and produces a great harvest of wheat. All because of one grain, it died. The person who loves his life and pampers himself will miss true life. But the one who detaches his life from this world and abandons himself to me will find true life and enjoy it forever. Isn't that awesome? Man. See what kind of response it brings? Sheesh. Right? That's what it does to me. And this is stuff we need to hear. Number four, with the prayer of consecration, I make personal adjustments to do whatever I need to do to obey God. Now, there are internal adjustments and external adjustments. I've got three scriptures and give you some illustration. We're done. Isaiah 119, I love this verse. I love this verse and then I don't like this verse. My flesh don't like it. If you are willing, everybody say if. The whole verse hinges on, hinges on the first word. If. This is a question, that's right. Say it again, if. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Well, we want to eat the good, but we got to deal with the if. If you're willing and obedient, you eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. The mouth of the Lord spoken. That's tough scripture. Yeah. Obedience. We want health. We want prosperity. We want blessing. We want our relationships to be good. But friends, there's a price to pay to be in the will of God. And the price is not greater than the blessing. How many hear what I'm saying? God will bless you, but you got to put yourself there. Uh, so there are external and internal things. Here's the internal part. 2 Corinthians 5.10 this is Amplified Classic Edition. They came up with a new Amplified in 2015. But this is the old one. For we must appear and be revealed as we are before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive his pay. Do you know you're getting paid for how you live right now? In heaven, there's pay. You're earning a paycheck. wonder what it's going to be. Is it going to be gold, silver, precious jewels? Or is it going to be wood, hay, straw? It's another sermon for another day. According to what he's done in the body, each one will receive his pay according to what he's done in the body, whether good or evil, considering what his purpose and motive have been. What he has achieved, been busy with, and given himself, <coughs> excuse me, and his attention to accomplishing this. Then skip down a few verses. <clears throat> Verse 15, J.B. Phillips' translation, 2 Corinthians 5. We look at it like this. If one died for all men, then in a sense they all died. 
and his purpose in dying for them is that their lives should now no longer be lived for themselves, but for him who died and rose again for them. One of my mentors in ministry is Kenneth Hagin, who died in 2003. I lived in Tulsa for eight years and frequented his meetings. He would hold meetings on their campus and at Tulsa, and I would always go when I had a chance. I worked at another church. But he had a, a one a illustration that moved me so much. Uh, Jesus, well, well, two things, actually. Here was a lady, uh, 57, 58 years of age. He went to pray for her, he said. And, and when he, he went to the hospital to pray for her, and, and, he, and he got down to lay his hands on her and say, Lord, he, call her name and heal so-and-so. And he couldn't say the word heal. He did it two or three times. And he said, and he said Lord, what? And she said, he said, ma'am, for some reason I can't say the word heal when I go to put my hands on you. Is there something I need to know? And the lady began to cry. Y'all, this affected me. I was a young man in my early 20s. Or actually, I was probably 19, 18 when I heard this first time. It affected me. She said, when I was 13 years old, God called me as a missionary. She said, missionaries came to our church. And she said, I was so moved. I heard the call of God. I want you to go on the mission field and sacrifice your life for me. And she said, but I wanted a family. I wanted to be married. I wanted to have children. I wanted to have a normal life. So she said, as I aged, I forgot about that thing that God said when I was 13. It was always in the back of my mind. But she said, I got married. I had children. But she said this, I've never been healthy. I've always been sickly. She said, I did what I wanted. And I thought, well, you know, I can give money to missions. But no, God wanted her on the mission field. See, if you be willing and obedient, you eat the good. For me, if I hadn't obeyed God and went to make money, I would be, my body would be under, six feet under right now. How many hear me? Some people, problem after problem, challenge after challenge. Friends, we've got to obey what God's saying inside. It's not just enough to be a believer. You want to be an obedient believer. Then you eat the good. Then Jesus said something to Kenneth Hagin. He appeared to him eight times in the 1950s. You can find that in a book called I Believe in Visions. <coughs> appeared to him eight times uh, in the 1950s. And uh, here we go. Um, one of those times he said, many people live and die, never enter into the first phase I have for them in life and ministry. And he said, for this reason... Many die midlife and die early. That's a shock, isn't it? If you be willing and obedient, you eat the good. You can't expect God's best without giving Him your best. You can't walk around Gethsemane and expect God's best. How many hear me? Now, let me change gears a minute. There are phases to life. And with every phase of life, God will ask for a deeper consecration. Uh, and it never stops. Y'all, it never stops. I was in my early 20s. I was, I've told you all these little stories, but here's, there's always addendums to them. I, uh, I was a, a, a janitor at a church, a large church. And I was just so aggravated with being a janitor. I hated putting that old stupid uniform on. I got, it, it was disgusting to me. Because here I am, man of God. I've been to Bible college. I could preach. But I'm swabbing floors with a mop. I'm cleaning old nasty toilets. I'm changing 
trash cans, cleaning sinks. And I say, God, you got nasty people. <laughs> and then I, I had an attitude. And I got so mad one day. I was so aggravated after a Sunday service. I said, you people are like cattle. They just run through here and just make a mess. I can't stand your people, and I can't stand cleaning up after you. I did. I had an attitude, y'all. And right there, God challenged me, Mitch. Mitch. And here's what he said. You willing to do this the rest of your life with a smile? I said, uh-uh. <laughs> I don't like it. I had to stay my butt right there. And God kept saying, Mitch, you do this the rest of your life. I broke down one day. I said, God, if you'll will for me, is to be a janitor in a church the rest of my life. So be it. I'll be the best janitor any church ever had. And I meant it from my heart. Y'all, that was a Gethsemane. How many hear me? Uh, as I aged, you know, God just has such a sense of humor. Oh, Jesus, help me. Gethsemane's come in varying levels. I, was, uh, I had started a church in South Carolina, a small church in and actually, it turned the church over to someone else. And now I was in a traveling ministry, Mitch Horton Ministries. Now, put that, that uh, yeah, put, uh, Jesus, help us. Now, I told you I had hair. <laughs> that stuff was perfect. Man, there wasn't a hair out of place. I had a mustache. It was trimmed to perfection. My clothes, everything's, I mean, Perfect. I mean, I still like to dress okay, you know. Nothing wrong with that. But God said this to me, Mitch. You can't go further until you surrender your pride. I said, what are you saying to me? In 1985, listen to this, January 1985, I was taking a walk under a moonlit night. I was looking at the stars, and I heard, Mitch, I'm coming for your pride. I said, oh, Jesus. Uh, what are you saying? And I knew the Bible said humble yourself. Listen, if you humble yourself, let me just tell you, it's better than God humbling you. Well, I didn't understand. You can have pride and not even know it. Everybody okay with time? This is my last little illustration. Oh, my God. So uh, went to South Carolina three years later, 1988. Susan, I got two kids, one on the way. And here we are. Here we are. That picture is 1990. I mean, I sat in front of a photographer and, you know, he took my picture because I had to, you know, promote my ministry, Mitch Horton Ministries. Here I go. And, uh, but everything was, I showed you the picture because everything's just perfect. That reminds me, I was Mr. Perfect. Y'all, during that time, I wore a three-piece suit. My shoes were always polished. My car, and I still like my car clean. I had an attache case. And when you saw me, I'm the man. Because that's the image I projected. Whether I was about to fall apart or not, you'd never know it. I got to praying. You know, I'm not making, I was praying, and I pray in the Spirit, pray with my understanding. I got to praying. Summer of uh, 1990, I was traveling on the weekends, and I, I was wanting to augment my income during the week, because, you know, I'm a hustler. I work pretty hard. I said, well, I can do something, you know, do something to make some money. I got all these youngins, three kids. Man, whew. So uh, nobody would hire me. So I was praying one morning. And while I was praying, I, I got real quiet. 
I heard Mitch. I said, what? <clears throat> I want you to paint. What? Paint what? I'm not an artist. I took art in school. I'm not an artist. No, I want you to paint. I just kept, and I kept praying a little bit more. Mitch, I said, what? I want you to paint. I paint what? Houses. What? Paint houses. Me? Not me. Short of it was, listen. Now, this is not true, but I had a judgment against painters. We got painters in our church. Come on, brother. But I had a judgment. I thought painters were preachers that couldn't preach. Oh, they had life-dominating problems. And God said, I want you to paint. He would come after my judgments. I want you to paint. You know, I said, I ain't doing that. That's a little bit, that's below me. I'm above that. You know, God, I mean, I got my attache case. Got my, how can I paint with this? You know, got my tie just right. I can tie a mean tie. No, not me. He wouldn't leave me alone. Y'all yo, yo, didn't listen. I, I, I said, I can't do it. Listen, I had a friend, Hurricane Hugo hit in 1989. I had a friend who was an insurance adjuster. I, I went and got my insurance adjuster's license. No kidding. Started adjusting insurance because that's got a little bit of prestige. I can, I can take my Anna Shea case with me. I, can, I got to dress up. I was on top of a house one time with patent leather shoes on. Had leather bottoms. And like to fell off. I said, man, you don't put those kind of shoes up, up on top of a house. Get, get your sneakers. But no, I was too good for sneakers. And then even after that, God said, paint. I said, you got to be joking with me. He said, no. So I started a painting business. Excellence painting services. Excellence, because I'm excellent. And here's the apex. I'm done with the story. One day I went into a house. And I had all these contracts and all that. And it eventually became a good-sized little business, you know, for a single one person. Uh, had four or five guys working for me. You can make good money. So anyway, I went and painted this ceiling, interior ceiling, stipple ceiling. They just, they didn't want the stipple. They just wanted to paint the stipple. And these people smoked, and I mean, the ceiling was pure yellow, just nasty. It smelled nasty in the house. So here I am. And I had to put some kilts on it to, you know, seal all that mess in. And, and so, so while I'm doing it, the stipple was, was, had too much water in it. And it came down all over me, y'all. I mean, I looked like a polka-dotted man. I was polka-dotted from head to toe. I had polka-dots, white polka-dots all over my, uh, my shoes, all over my pants, my shirt, my head. You know, I tried to wipe some of it off. Then I had to go uh, do an estimate for a contractor. And I had to run from that job. I got to that place. And this was just kind of the crescendo for me. It's like, oh, God. I got there, and, and that man, uh, I shook his hand. He said, well, I'm so-and-so. Well, I said, well, I'm Mitch Horton. He said, you're a painter? I said, yes, sir. He said, and then he said this. You always dress like that? <laughs> I said, well, no, sir, I don't. I, I just had to paint a ceiling, and it got all over me. didn't have time to change. Y'all, it did something to me. God broke the pride. How many hear me? And, and, and the apex of that was, then a little later, I've heard my story, I was on the ladder one day. I was so tired of painting, oh, painting on nasty houses, grinding paint off the exterior of houses, correcting other people's mistakes, taking down wallpaper, redecorating everybody else's stuff. And I just got fed up with it, said God. And I got to crying. Why am I not in ministry? I'm, I'm ministering a little bit, but not like you called me to. Why? And God said it again. Are you willing 
Are you willing to do this the rest of your life? If it's my will. I broke down and started crying. I said, God, and here's what, when God, I'd rather door, be a doorkeeper at that house of my God than dwell in tents of wickedness. God gave me that years ago. I said, God, if you want me to paint the rest of my life, God, if that's your will, I'll, I'll be a happy painter. I'll just be the best just to know you. See, ministry had become an idol. And some people make ministry an idol. Or you may make your serving in the church, your ushering, your greeting, your whatever you do, you may make it your idol. God will come after your idols. And it all happens in your Garden of Gethsemane, the prayer of consecration. You got to deal with yourself inside. Is it pride? You got to be seen. You got to be heard. Things got to be a certain way. What is it in you? God's after our hearts. How many hear me? I will have no other gods before me. And sometimes we make other people. Sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's our spouse. Sometimes it's our children. Sometimes it's others' esteem. We make an idol. Sometimes it's ministry. God wants our hearts. And that's why every day, every week I take some time. Okay, God, let's talk about motives. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason. And there's no blessing in it. How many hear me? So some questions as we close. Are you obeying God? Are you obeying God with your life? Are you doing what God called you to do? Then as you're doing what you do, are your motives right? Are you taking time to get under those gnarled olive trees, so to speak, and pour your heart out and say, God, you got to deal with this. What are you saying?